You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, there's black hardcover Bibles under your seat or somewhere nearby if you want to use one of those this morning. Page 807 uh, is where you'd find today's text. Uh, and we are continuing today our Advent series that we're calling Word Made Flesh. Uh, the past couple weeks, if you've been with us, we've looked at both the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. And so now for the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to examine two statements that we find in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed, of course, is an ancient affirmation of Orthodox Christian belief. And in the Apostles' Creed, Christians for centuries now have proclaimed, I believe in in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Those are the two phrases we're going to look at this morning and next Sunday. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, Next week... We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to consider Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, Looking more through Mary's perspective, next week we're going to ask why it matters that Jesus was conceived in her body, in her physical, material body, and why he was brought into the world through a woman who had never known a man. Why was it so important that Mary be a virgin when Jesus was born? This morning, though, before we get to that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and consider that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus this morning more on Joseph's perspective and ask why it matters that Jesus was conceived not by him nor by any other man for that matter, but why Jesus was conceived by the direct action of God. Larry King, a famous journalist, famous interviewer, passed away actually earlier this year. Uh, Someone once asked Larry King, hey, Larry, you've interviewed a lot of people. If you could interview one person in the history of the world, who would would that be? And Larry King said, Jesus. I would interview Jesus. And, And the person said, well, why? Why would you interview Jesus? And Larry King responded, I would want to ask him if it was really true that he was born of a virgin. Because if that's true, that would define history for me. Now, that's Larry King. I don't know if Larry King ever came to acknowledge or affirm or believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, or anything about Jesus in particular. But he does, in, in even just that one little statement, he understands the significance, the gravity of these things being true, I would argue, more than many Christians do. It, it, this is, these are history-defining truths. And so if you're, if you're here this morning, if you've wondered about these things, or if you've even written them off as unimportant, I hope you'll, you'll recognize both the significance and also the unbelievable joy that is held out to you because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Matthew chapter 1. Father God, you are the God of love and power. You are revealed to us in your word, in accounts of prophecy, in promises, and in fulfillments, all of which direct our attention to Jesus Christ. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you would illumine us now as we hear your word proclaimed, that we might open our hearts to Jesus, that we might yearn for his coming in glory, and that we might serve him with joy. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears 
to this book that we love. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that is, the prophet Isaiah, who wrote, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. There's some speculation about how Joseph learned Mary was pregnant. Maybe you've never thought about that before. How did Joseph find out that Mary was pregnant? Did Mary tell him? That's a possibility. Or did Mary not tell him? Kind of waited for him to figure it out, waited for him to have his own moment of revelation as he has here. Uh, He probably, if, if that was the case, noticed a little baby bump starting to form and thought, well, this could be a problem. This is certainly going to be interesting. Either way... Before this dream that we read about here in Matthew 1, he had not only found out, but in what is a truly honorable, noble act, had made plans to, to break off their betrothal, their engagement, in order to, and in order to avoid subjecting Mary to any kind of more shame that she already would be experiencing, to do that quietly. But this message, this dream that Joseph has and the message from the angel changes that. By the time he wakes up, he's committed to follow through marrying Mary, I found myself this week, these past couple weeks, uh, wishing that there was more recorded for us in Scripture about what was happening inside of Joseph as he heard this news, as he played out these, these days. Was there a sense of loss? You know, the first child that was going to be born from his wife would not be his own. Was there relief some vindication for Mary, some gratitude that he could proceed marrying the woman that he loved and was planning to marry. Or maybe Joseph anticipated the burden and the cost, knowing that people would speculate, knowing that they would assume that Jesus was indeed Joseph's son and that he was born illegitimately. He was born out of a marriage union. Or maybe Joseph had some joy, some awe even at at the prospect of getting to help raise the one who would, as the angel told him in his dream, save his people from their sins. We are not told really anything about what was happening inside of Joseph. What we are told, twice in this text actually, verses 18 and 20, is that the child in Mary's womb is from or is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So let's spend uh, the rest of our time this morning unpacking two really important results of this. Two really important results. First, that because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is our sinless Savior. And then second, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the Son of God. Sinless Savior 
and son of God. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking through. So first, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is our sinless savior. In order for Jesus to save us, to even be qualified to save us, he had to be sinless. We considered last week as we thought about the humanity of Jesus, he is both our priest and our propitiation. So fully human, fully God as well, but fully human, he is now able to represent humanity before God as a priest. But unlike any of the other human priests that went before him, Jesus needed to be perfect. Other priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. They had to do that over and over again. In order to actually deal with our sin once for all, our salvation required a priest who was, as Hebrews chapter 7 puts it, holy, innocent, and unstained. Our salvation also requires propitiation. In other words, a sacrifice that takes God's wrath against sin away. And the sacrifice that Jesus offers is himself. The whole sacrificial system that was put in place by God centuries earlier, and really, if you think about it, it's such an unbelievable act of mercy and compassion on God's part. The blood of bulls and goats will keep God's wrath from consuming the people because of their sin. It's unbelievable mercy and compassion from God. But that system placed very specific requirements on the sacrifices. You, you couldn't take your worst animal from the flock. You couldn't take a defective animal. You couldn't take the animal that you didn't want reproducing in your flock and sacrifice that. The animal you sacrificed had to be without spot and without blemish. So as both our priest and our propitiation, Jesus had to be perfect, spotless, blemishless, or in a word, sinless. The all-important question then is how can Jesus share our full humanity but not share our sin? How can he share our full humanity but not share our sin? You see, as human beings, we are sinners both by nature and by choice. It's not just that we commit sin, that's true, but it's that we are, by nature, sinners. Throughout the centuries, and especially the last couple centuries, people have debated the nature of humanity. So some people have said, you know, human beings are neutral. We're born neutral. We can kind of either choose to do bad things or we can choose to do good things. Other people have said, well, as human beings, we're, we're basically good. But then the corruption the pollution of sin in this world around us rubs off on us. And as it does, we join into it. We're affected by it and then we start to participate in it. Now there's certainly truth to that. Certainly true to the fact that the, the corruption and pollution of the world because of sin, that we are affected by that and that we replicate that. But more fundamentally, the scriptures teach that we have a sin nature that we aren't just corrupted by the sin around us, in other words, but that we are guilty because there's sin in us. The Apostle Paul gives us the best concise glimpse of this in Romans chapter 5. He writes there in Romans 5 that through Adam's sin, we all became sinners. And that Adam wasn't simply the, the father of humanity. We, of course, all have descended from Adam. He is our natural father in that way. But he wasn't just our father. He's also our representative that we are in Adam, that we are implicated in Adam's sin. And since, ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, we have a sin nature. We're born with a sin nature. All of us are guilty 
because of the sin nature in us, not simply corrupted by the sin around us. The, the more you realize this, the more you will start to realize how cheap and worthless other solutions are to the problems of this world. And maybe you hear some of them in modern vernacular, you know, do better, be kind. Uh, even the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. All great things in and of themselves, but also in and of themselves, incapable of dealing with the guilt of sin. The best that they'll do is maybe to, to minimize the kind of pollution and corruption we experience around us, but they do nothing about the sin nature in us. But the good news is, and as Paul is saying in this Romans 5 text, he's, Paul's building this incredible contrast between the first Adam and the one he calls the second Adam, the better Adam, who is Jesus Christ. See, sin and condemnation and death came into the world through one man's disobedience. Likewise, justification, our, our being declared not guilty, our being made right before God, and our life even will also come through one man, through one man's obedience. So Jesus had to be both, think about this, completely like Adam and completely unlike Adam. And he had to be both completely like us, sharing our full humanity, but completely unlike us and not having a sin nature like ours. An author named Brandon Crow put it this way, he said, if death spread to all men through the disobedience of Adam, how could any human redeemer, himself subject to the curse of sin, fully deliver us from that sin? But maybe even already this morning, you're beginning to perceive the unbelievable brilliance of God in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is born without the sin nature the rest of us have. And yet, conceived in the womb of a fully human woman, Jesus can share our full humanity and thereby come our, become our deliverer and our savior. Over the years, people have done some really odd things with this fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So let me quick, quickly point out a few things that the scriptures don't teach about this. Uh, for one, they don't teach that Jesus was sinless because he was conceived without sexual intercourse. That's been proposed by some over the years. Well, Jesus was sinless because there was no sexual activity involved in his conception. But actually, sex is a good gift of God. In the context of the covenant of marriage, sex is not sinful. Scriptures also don't teach that Jesus was sinless because a man wasn't involved. And I know, I'm sorry, ladies, like that would be amazing ammunition when you're frustrated with us. If you could just be like, gosh, you know, when man was out of the picture, we got Jesus. Uh, that would be great if we just kind of get men out of the picture sometimes. Okay, that's not it though. That's not it. Men and women are equally sinful, equally sinful. Mary was fully human. She had her own need of a savior. We'll look at that next week. She was sinful. She needed rescue. So it wasn't simply because a man was absent from the equation. And finally, the scriptures don't teach that God became sexually intimate with a human being. And this is where Maybe you've heard some of these arguments over the course of your life if you've been a Christian. This is where the incarnation is completely different from other mythologies, other origin stories. Some like to point out that other faiths, other cultures have you know, really incredible origin stories about their heroes too. But Jesus is not some kind of half-God, half-human superhero like Hercules. He is fully God and fully human. And though we have no idea exactly how that works, we have no idea about the mechanics of this, 
the Holy Spirit acted within Mary's physical body to bring about the conception of Jesus Christ. He was born like we are, yet without a sin nature. In Luke 1, which we're going to look at more next week, the angel Gabriel comes and says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, therefore, the child will be called holy or unblemished, perfect, sinless. The Holy Spirit's conception means that this man will be holy, unlike any other human being that was ever born. And as he then proceeded to live a life of perfect obedience, this enabled Jesus to become our sinless Savior. So you can think about it this way. Sinless by nature, Jesus was sinless by choice and thereby became our sinless Savior. Sinless by nature, Jesus lived sinless by choice and thereby became our sinless Savior. And when, when we see the depth of the brokenness of this world, when we recognize that ourselves and every other human being we come in contact with in any given day is a sinner by both nature and choice, that should lead us to rejoice in the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That should lead us to rejoice in this truth. We needed a perfect high priest, one who did not need to offer sacrifices for himself over and over again. And we have that in Jesus. We needed a spotless, blemishless sacrifice. We have that in Jesus. He is qualified to save us like no one else is. And without conception by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not sinless. He still would have a sin nature and therefore we would not be saved. The psalmist writes, truly, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Your freedom, your life, your salvation costs too much to be bought by a blemished human being. It costs too much. Your life costs too much to be interceded for by an imperfect priest. The person who loves you most in this life cannot trade their life for yours. I cannot trade, as much as I might want to, my life for my wife's. I cannot trade my life for one of my daughter's life. Why? My life isn't worth enough. It's not worth enough. It's too stained. It's too tainted by sin. But the life of Jesus Christ is not. His life is innocent enough. His life is precious enough. His life is pure enough. No naturally conceived man can ransom another but the Holy Spirit conceived God-man, Jesus Christ, can. And he did. So Jesus is our sinless Savior. And second, second, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the Son of God. Son of God. Look back at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel is saying to Joseph, Mary is going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In other words, Joseph, go ahead and take this woman as your wife. She's going to bear a son, but it's not going to be your son. It's not going to be your son. I can't imagine, now being a father myself, what that felt like. Complicated, to be sure. Remember, in this culture in particular, to have a son was a man's pride. It's really, in many ways, what defined your life, and it's what secured your legacy. And so hearing the news that his wife's going to give birth to a son, Joseph might be like, well, that's great news, but this really isn't his son, is it? 
He's not contributing to the conception or birth of Jesus in any way. A lot of people are going to assume that Jesus is Joseph's son, but Joseph will always know, Mary will always know he is not. Back to Luke 1 for just a second. It's because this son is conceived by the Holy Spirit, the angel Gabriel says, not only will he be holy, but he will be the son of God. The son of God. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to think about this, but Jesus is the only person ever fathered by God. He's the only person ever fathered by God. Adam and Eve were created, but Adam and Eve were never conceived. They were never born. So they were not fathered by God like Jesus is. And of course, every other human being, like all of us in this room this morning, has a human father. Jesus is the son of God, not the son of Joseph. And that's good news. That's good news. Jesus will save his people from their sins because he's the son of God, the angel says. But to Joseph, this is scandalous. Is it not? It's maybe even offensive because in this moment, he's a passive observer. The comedian Jim Gaffigan once joked about how the male contribution to life is pretty pathetic. He said, compared to a woman, for example, who grows a baby in her body, pushes a baby out of her body, feeds a baby with her body, men, on the other hand, spend a few minutes doing the one thing they think about 24 hours a day. That's Jim Gaffigan's line, not mine, but you can laugh at it. I think it's funny. I think it's great. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. But even if it's comparatively pathetic, it's still a contribution, is it not? It's still essential for life. It's something, not for Joseph. For him, there is no contribution. And friends, herein lies what I think is the most overlooked truth that we're supposed to learn from Joseph and from Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit. And that is that you and I contribute absolutely nothing to our salvation. Absolutely nothing. When we read the gospel accounts of the, uh, especially during the Advent and Christmas season, the accounts of Mary and Joseph, we want to be more like Mary, don't we? A willing servant, someone who offers up our lives to be used by God for amazing things, someone who works with God in all the things that he's doing in the world. And indeed, we are invited to play some really significant roles in God's work. We're going to look more at that next week. But before our lives can bear any resemblance to Mary's, they must bear resemblance to Joseph's. They must be marked by the scandalous, offensive realization that when it comes to salvation, you and I will contribute nothing. Centuries earlier, on the banks of the Red Sea, hundreds of thousands of God's people came face to face with their death and with their slavery. Their captors were bearing down upon them to kill some and to take the rest back to Egypt. And in the moment where it seemed the most hopeless, Moses lifted up his voice and he said, Exodus chapter 14, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Matthew 1 is the Red Sea moment for Joseph. The mighty one of Israel is about to work salvation for his people. Jesus is coming to save his people from their sins. The Lord is fighting for his people. The incarnation is God going to war. It is him establishing the beachhead through which Satan's sin and death will fall. And Joseph's job is to watch, to be silent, to contribute 
nothing. Let me ask you, church, where are you still trying to contribute something to your salvation? What are you still trying to contribute? What in your life do you keep pointing to and saying to God, hey, look at this. Look at this. The way I use my money wisely. The way I care about the right causes. The Christian books I read and the podcasts I listen to. The the way I'm not a drain on society like those people over there. The way that my moral choices are more upstanding than that group of people. Are we not drowning in self-righteousness in this cultural moment? Are we not drowning in it? Yard signs and social media virtue signaling, factions and parties constantly building cases for why the problems with the world are someone else's fault. And if everyone would just do it my way, would just do it better, then humanity would be thriving. Okay, hear me out on this this morning. If Jesus was conceived by Joseph, go for it. Go for it. Claim as much as you can. Build as much of a case as possible for all that you are contributing. Indulge your self-righteousness. Indulge your moral superiority. But if Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Be silent and see the salvation that God has come to work for his people. God, not you. Because Jesus is the son of God and not the son of Joseph, we must, like Joseph, become utterly humbled. The angel, in essence, is saying to Joseph in this moment, Joseph, you don't get to play in this game. You're not even on the sidelines in this game. You're in the bleachers. You're in the bleachers. Only then, from that scandalized, offended place, will you and I be finally able to grasp the joy of a salvation that does not depend in any way upon our contributions, but solely upon the contributions of Christ. Jesus' Holy Spirit conception means, quite simply, God saves sinners. God saves sinners. It's It's God's initiative, it's God's action, it's God's love that brings this about. That's the gospel in its most concise form. Man has sinned, but God has saved. Apart from any merit of yours and mine, any effort of ours, from anything lovable in you, solely because of the great love with which he loved you, God will break into this world to rescue you from the curse of sin. And to receive that, to receive that, all you need to do is be silent. All you need to do is lift up your eyes and look and watch. Do you know, friends, the joy and the hope that is held out to you because this is true? You can finally give up your exhausting efforts to prove something. You can finally give up those efforts to prove something to someone else or even to yourself. You can give up pretending that you have it all together in your life. You can trade the despair of your inadequacy because do we not feel our inadequacy every single day in some way or another? You can give up the despair of your inadequacy and trade it for the joy of Jesus' sufficiency. In fact, on your worst day, when you know in that moment you have nothing to contribute, you are so much closer to the truth. Those are the days we find Jesus. That's where Jesus is found. Those are the days that we have incredible comfort in knowing that our salvation depends not upon our contributions, but his. Those are the days I would submit to you where you can find incredible comfort knowing Jesus was conceived, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. In the frenzy of the Advent season, where where we're all trying to look good on our Christmas cards, one-up our annoyingly successful family members when we get together with them, trying to meet our year-end goals, whether they're 
professional or personal, trying to even do good things for God, blessing our neighbors and trying to celebrate the season well, or for some of us, just trying to hold it all together. Would you, this Advent season, just stop and be silent for a while? If only for a few minutes, would you sit still? Would you see the salvation your God has worked for you in the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the sinless Savior. He is qualified. He alone is qualified to save. He alone can ransom another. And conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the Son of God. Salvation is his initiative, his work, not ours. You can think of it like this. Jesus is the flesh and blood evidence that apart from any contribution of yours and mine, God indeed saves sinners. The Lord will fight for you. That's what Advent celebrates. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, you have done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Even as we sang earlier, Mary's song, that he who is mighty has done a great thing. It does offend us and our sensibilities. It, does, it is scandalizing to recognize that we can contribute absolutely nothing. But it is the best news in the world because salvation is your work. You are the one who saves sinners. And so as we now prepare our hearts to come to this table, Jesus, where we see tangibly the cost of our salvation, would you remind us of the unbelievable worth, the beauty of the truth that you were conceived by the Holy Spirit, that you were born of the Virgin Mary? Thank you for the freedom that that brings to our lives. Thank you for the joy that that brings to our lives. May we look and see the salvation that you have worked for us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son. We pray that in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.